Welcome to the Team Building Podcast, where you'll learn how to build a dominant real estate team in your market. Featuring masterminds with team leaders and mega agents, plus in-depth interviews with operations managers and marketing directors of some of the top teams in the country. You'll learn the latest methods to generate and convert leads, streamline your operations, recruit and train better agents, and raise your profit. And now, here's the latest Team Building Podcast. Hey, what's up, you guys? Jeff Cohn here with another episode of the Team Building Podcast, where we interview top team leaders, broker owners, and thought leaders from across the country. Today, we have Mr. Mike Dehan with us. He's on the CollectingKeysPodcast.com if you want to check him out. He is an expert when it comes to investing in real estate. So, Mike, welcome to the show today. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. As a lot of our uh, listeners know, a lot of times we don't know every guest that comes on personally. Um, they'll be recommended to the show or they'll be re- recommended by one of our audience members. And so Mike and I do not know each other further than about an hour and a half ago. So I'm really excited to get to know Mike myself with the audience here live and authentically. Um, of course, all of our episodes are recorded where you can watch the episodes if you want. You can just follow our YouTube channel for that. Or you can go out to EliteRealEstateSystems.com and click on podcast. And we'll email you every time a new podcast episode comes out with the video link. So Mike, let's just kick this thing off by sharing maybe with our audience members why you're awesome, what you've done leading up to this point, and then we can get into where you're going. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess I'm, I'm kind of a accidental real estate investor at the start. So I uh, you know, graduated from high school, went the typical path went to college, got an engineering degree, um, you know, made my parents proud, that whole sort of thing, right? <laughs> uh, after after about five years of that, I decided that I hated it. So this was, uh, I guess, January 2018. I basically just quit my job cold turkey. Okay. What, what, were, you, what were you doing in the engineering space? Yeah. So I was doing, I did, I worked at a bunch of different companies. I worked at four different companies in five years. So that tells mm-hmm. you you know, a little bit about the situation. Yeah. So I was doing everything from, um, I was an electrical engineer. So everything mm-hmm. from electrical design for like industrial uh, places, um, you know, mainly wastewater treatment plants. I worked at Boeing for a few years, um, working on the equipment engineering mm-hmm. side of it. So basically working on the assembly line. Mm-hmm. I uh, um, worked at the utility here in Spokane where I live uh, doing like some R&D sort of stuff. So kind of covered the full gambit. Okay. And then, you know, after I basically did every possible niche in that, that career, I decided that it just wasn't for me. So I decided I need to do something else. I love it. I know a lot of very successful investors and team leaders happen to be on the disc spectrum, a high DC. And I'm assuming yep. with you being an engineer mindset, you're a high DC. Would I have you yeah. egged on that? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, like more in the eye as well. Mm-hmm. Last time I did that. So, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a very good, um, engineer. Like if you look at like with the typical engineering types, because typical engineering types are very analytical, very like by the books. Mm-hmm. And I'm all, I've always been like a build the parish on the way down sort of guy. You're like the you rebel know? engineer. I, 100%. Honestly, <laughs> I just never really, never really vibe well with other engineers. And that was always one of the problems too, is while I was there, you know, I was, I would be the guy that would try to find the quickest, most efficient way to do my engineering tasks, mm-hmm. but it was never by the books. It was always kind of like a hack. Like I'd, I'd make like the master calculator or spreadsheet to basically do my entire project instead of doing it myself. 
mm-hmm. when you're working, you know, for a company that's like a consulting company selling time or something like that, you can't be doing that. Right. And all the, all the old school engineers who, you know, like the process of, mm-hmm. you know, they've had the same process every single day, for the yeah. last 25 years of their career, when you come in and start mixing it up, that doesn't seem to sit well with them. Yeah. Work more so, inefficiently. You yeah, should have right. worked for the government. Yeah, honestly, uh, like engineers and government <laughs> workers are not far away. Yeah, they're they're perfect. All right. So you had you felt the rub, just like a lot of our listeners, there's some type yep. of event, uh, they start to feel like there's a better life out there for them. They aren't a good fit for whatever they're doing. There's friction in their life. And you decided get into residential real estate. Uh, not even that I actually yep. I left with no real plan. And I basically just decided I need to do something else just not this. Um, and, uh, you know, just decided I was going to figure it out along the way. So, you know, I left in January, 2018, um, wife and I traveled a little bit. Um, you know, we, I don't know, just tried to find myself, went down to New Zealand for about a month, you know, mm-hmm. traveled around the United States a little bit. And then I came up, I was reading all these business books and decided I wanted to get into tech startups. Mm-hmm. So I went down that rabbit hole and sort of learned about business and systems, um, through learning about internet businesses. And then, you know, there's a bunch of random things in the middle there, but essentially what that led to was I want to make passive income. I want to generate wealth. And one of the best ways to do that as I was, you know, just researching, you know, wealth building in general was mm-hmm. real estate. Right. So I started out, I liquidated my corporate um, 401ks retirement accounts. I bought a couple of single family um, rentals and uh, it's funny in hindsight, I didn't really know a lot about real estate. So those are actually pretty poor initial investments at the time. You know, I was like, oh, you know, my payment for these is going to be 1200 bucks a month. I ran it for 1600 bucks. I was like, cool, I'm going to make money. You know, I didn't have any, anything yeah, set no aside rule, no guides. or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that was how I got started. Um, shortly after that, I got into flipping houses. Um, I would buy properties, you know, distressed either off the market or from wholesalers. And did that for most of 2019. I flipped a handful of properties myself. As I was looking to scale that a little bit, um, I realized how difficult it was going to be to find properties, uh, I guess, to get opportunities from other people. So at the end of the year, uh, 2019, I went to my best friend from college and I kind of needed to partner up with him because he had money and I did not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I guess also it's more fun to do business with friends. And I basically pitched this idea of having our own. Um, wholesaling slash off-market business mm-hmm. that we would start to basically find our own opportunities. Um, we officially started that in 2020, um, right before COVID started, I guess, February, March timeframe. Um, and uh, since then, I mean, we've grown. We actually just uh, got our 50th contract last week since we started about a year and a half ago. Um, and uh, we have, I guess, one, two, four full-time staff members and some contractors that we work with. We built out a little team. We got a marketing process and, you know, we're generating, you know, 150, 200 leads a month and, you know, getting on average, I guess, three to five contracts a month. So we're either wholesaling, flipping, keeping as rentals or, uh, you know, my partner's uh, agent. So he will also take stuff down and list them as well. Awesome. What you are doing sounds a lot like what I'm doing as well in Omaha, Nebraska. So I love to see the systems and processes that we're implementing are no different than systems and processes you're implementing. And we're halfway across the United States and it works in both locations. Um, Just a reminder to my listeners, I own Dynamic Properties with Clint Bartlett, who's one of the teachers. Every Tuesday, we actually teach classes, 52 classes a year, one a week on Tuesdays at 1115 Central um, on how to build and scale dominant 
residential real estate investment company um, in parallel to the real estate team that you may build and or the business you may do if you're an individual agent that's listening. Um, all of that, uh, both investor training, team leader training, and the agent training product for infinite agents uh, runs $1,000 a month. So if people want more information about how to join Elite Real Estate Systems Coaching to learn on how to invest, build real estate teams, and then learn how to uh, sell successfully as an individual agent, go out to growwithers.com. We have a ton of free content that we give away at that site. And then more information about the coaching product. We'd love to have you guys check that out. All right. So Mike, you talked about this deal analysis. You had 50 deals under contract the last two years. A lot of people listening would love to do that next year. That's an impressive acquisition business. Of course, to do that, you had to build systems. You had to have a marketing department. You have to have a person going on the appointments. You have to have an acquisition manager. You have to have a disposition manager for all the houses that you've chosen to sell. Um, you had to have someone financially backing that entire process. And then you had to have a strategy around the holds. Uh, my buddy and I did a podcast probably about a year now ago, Clint Bartlett, and on this Elite Real Estate uh, Systems Team Building podcast. And we talked about, I think there were six options. And so I wanted to go through those options you already shared with our listeners. You can wholesale. When you find a deal, you can sell the contract to someone else. You can hold tail where you just close on it, maybe put less than a thousand bucks in, you put it on as retail and sell it on the retail market. You can flip it where we would say you put at least 5,000 in. Some of them could be a hundred thousand, but it's where you fix it up like what you see on HGTV. Your buddy could take the listing and sell it traditionally and then just pay you a referral fee that comes back into the marketing dollar. You can hold it as a long-term hold option and then you can pass. You can choose to not do anything. What we found is there's always an offer price. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and so we, how we actually structure our stuff, going back to the systems, we have a full calculator figured out, right? So we know our, our average, like our average cost per deal. We know what we need for it to make money at the different phases, whether it's going to be for a flip, wholesale, wholesale, or a rental. You know, like what do we need our cash flow out to look like? And so we, we have it all systematized so that my guys are running their own comps. They're like analyzing the rehab and they're actually entering it into our calculator. And what that does is that gives them the different price points they're trying to hit based off of our interest on the property. I love it. So, so I'm like six different events. What's the acquisition price for each event? What would your net mm -hmm. revenue need to look like? What's your overhead going to be? Because of course, if you're doing a $50,000 flip versus a wholesale those two events are much different from a risk standpoint, how long you're at the hole and how long your money's going to be tied up. Exactly. Yeah. And then what we can do as well um, is after they've sort of run their numbers and we've seen all the details, you know, I look over it and I say, well, I don't want to flip this property because it's too much work. I don't like the area, whatever. I'm not interested in this as a rental for the same sort of reasons. You know, we don't have the cash right now to take down the property ourselves. So let's wholesale it. And what that does, that tells them where to go with the negotiations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then they can, you know, basically like, like there's no real questions at the end of the day, because yeah. as you know, when you're like you said, there's always an offer price there is, but like not necessarily for what the highest and best use would be mm -hmm. for you, you know? Mm -hmm. So you always can, can sort of analyze it from a sort of more neutral lens that way, as opposed to being like an emotional lens. So yeah, I love it. How many doors do you guys currently hold? Do you have any? Yes. Yeah. yeah, we do. So we have 40 doors. Um, I guess we're going to have 40 doors. We're closing on our next ones next week, which brings to 40. So um, out of the 50 little... contracts, you've held 40 of them? No. So we own a bunch of uh, duplexes. Um, and I will also say that those 50 contracts are the ones that my partner and I have gotten in our business. So I guess when I, when I say that 40, I'm also including my wife and I, we own 14 doors personally. 
okay. that we bought before we started okay. this off market okay. business. Okay. So, you know, yeah, so us jointly, I guess, we'll have a you know, 40 minus will be 36. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, 26. Um, so, and that's, that makes up, you know, single families, duplexes, we have an eight unit, um, okay. and we have a triplex as well in there. So. Cool. So you're keeping about a third and that's our rule too. Um, our first year when we started going really hard at this, we made the big mistake of keeping half and our tax liability ended up being much more than we had planned for. So we had to get a little bit better about, about preparing for the tax implications when you wholesale, wholesale flip all of the income you earn, you're paying your tax map amount towards that income. Um, what's nice about the birth strategy is there's no taxable event when you pull out equity out of the property. And so we've really tried to follow the Burr strategy as much as possible. If you guys don't know about the Burr strategy, go look up on Amazon, any book on Burr. I think David Green has a really good book that he wrote that talks about how to buy, um, you renovate, you rent, you refinance and repeat. And we've actually flipped refi to before rent. So we buy, renovate, refinance, rent, repeat. And usually when we refi, we can pull out as much money we have, as we have into the project and even sometimes more than what we have into the project. So instead of making, let's say $20,000 on a wholesale, we've made 20,000 and we've made 100,000 on a refi. And as long as you're covering your debt obligation, when the rent comes in, you just now made money that's not taxable. You have now a um, an asset that's gonna appreciate in value over the next 20 years that's being paid off by a third party. Um, you have first position. Well, I guess second position, you have a note on it. But then you also are increasing your valuation as well as taking somewhat of uh, some type of cash flow. And in Omaha, we're averaging on as on a fully leveraged property about three hundred and fifty dollars per property per month in cash flow. Okay. So is that similar to kind of what you guys are doing on your long term holds, or is your strategy different? Yeah, that's exactly the same. Um, I mean, that's and that's been a, a big part of our model as well as you know that that Burr model. And then the main ones that we flip are, are wholesale. So we're in a I'm assuming a much more expensive market than you are. What's oh yeah, for sure. Homes uh, here are probably about 250 right now, but the homes we're buying, we're trying to buy for about a you know two bed, th- or sorry, three bed, two bath. We're trying to get around 150 thousand, fixing it up, making it worth about 215, 225, something like that. And but our rule for um, our rents is we try to get to one and a half percent of the mm-hmm. value per month in rent. Okay. Yeah. So for the listeners okay. listening, what that means is if you have a hundred thousand dollar home after repair value, everything appraises out, it's at a hundred thousand. I want to make 1.5%. So $1,500 a month in rent off of that $100,000 house or $200,000 house, I need $3,000 a month in rent and industry yeah. average, I'd say across the country, correct me if I'm wrong, it's less than a percent. You're at like 0.7, mm-hmm. 0.6, something like that. That's honestly what we typically shoot for. But um, I guess we have the benefit of having... Uh, Which scenario do you shoot for? The one and a half or the 0. 0.7 or 0. 0.6? The 0.7%. Yeah, so that's the range. Yep. Yeah. And, and But like we have relatively low property taxes and the insurance up here isn't crazy. Um, so, you know, when we like for us, the average price went up here is I think about $420,000 for a single family home now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if we can get that property, right, and we can, you know, buy it at like everyone right now, we're buying at 280 um, we're going to be doing a cash out refi at about 450. We have about 50 grand into it. Should be pulling out most of our money, and then it should be renting for about 26, 2700 a month, right? So you know our cash flow on it will be about four or five hundred bucks. Um, you know after we consider the the mortgage payment, because we also get um, the loans that we get through our credit union. We usually get them at like 3.7, 3.8 yeah. percent. So it keeps them you know 
pre these are twenty low. year twenty year notes that are adjusted every five years, right? Twenty year. So we have, we actually get thirty year notes on a ten year adjustment with our credit. Okay, wow, that's really good. Um, so it works out pretty well, and I mean for the. If you look at an amortization table, by that, that seven-year point stuff starts to, to cross over anyway. And generally, you're looking to yeah. uh, move on to something else. So, so you guys listen, um, to what, listen to what Mike just said. So they get all their money out when they're done. And they're making how much a month? Uh, so our, our average is about yes. 500 a month per door so, right now. So think about it. I always think about it this way. So all of the time and energy in building this system is essentially making you guys 500 bucks. 500 bucks a month. And the work that you had to put into to make that happen was just build a marketing company, go on the appointments, make the offers, close on the property, fix it up, refi, have relationships with banks, have relationships with the partner. I mean, it's obviously not easy, but once the system's set up, just like a residential real estate team, you have an investment team, it then just becomes what you do. And the, the beauty behind this whole strategy is you go out and acquire a buyer or a seller in residential real estate, you make your commission once, maybe every 10 to 11 years if they go to buy a sell again or refer you business. But in this strategy, you're getting monthly cash flow. You're, you have an asset that's appreciating in value, you know, and you get the monthly cash flow that's coming in. You can refi again if your market doubles in value, which it will. I think we're going to see the most inflation in history over the next 10 to 15 years. And you can keep t- pulling money out if you want uh, in a non-taxed environment when you pull that out. So Yeah. And I think that's the biggest, that's a, such a huge thing too, is the ability to do that, especially as rents continue to climb, interest rates stay low. So like my personal portfolio, most of which I bought 2018, 2019, um, I just refinanced, did a cash out refinance on uh, five of those 14 units that I own. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it closed a couple of weeks ago. And we pulled out over half a million dollars in cash tax-free. And because their interest rates are so low, um, our cash flow only dipped like $1,300, right? Wow. From, from when we bought them. Right, even after that whole refi. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's money we can use tax-free that we can use to go and buy more properties. We can scale yep. up so much more when you suddenly have that much cash available. Yep. Um, and, a lot you know, of people hear, I've, I've listened to a lot of podcasts. I've been around a lot of circles. And a lot of people, as they hear us talking about this, assume all this cash flow is what we're living off of and all this money on the refi is what we're living off of. Most investors that build the system aren't taking any of that money down. A lot of them I know of, they make their money other places or they have other um, other uh, ways they make income and they use all of this money to kick, you know pay it forward to buy more investment properties. That's what me and my partner do. All the money we make is to go and acquire more real estate. Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. And I mean, it's only in the last few months have we started to, me and my business partner started to take actual draws from our business. Mm-hmm. Up until then, it was we were um, you know reinvesting pretty much all of it back into mm-hmm. more rental properties. And finally, now we're at a point where we have enough of a surplus that we feel comfortable taking like a, a dividend or a larger yeah. paycheck from it. But well, that's three years yeah. in the making to get to that. Yep. You know, you see a lot of people, they, like what they do is they they try to get the, their cash flow number, you know, four or five grand a month, whatever they need to cover their base. And then they say, cool, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to do whatever I'm going to live off that now. Right, I'm good. And that's fine until things go sideways, Right. Yep. And I think it's, it's so important to be looking from at it from a longer term standpoint of having that true long term like family wealth. And then, you know, having that those abilities to generate large amounts of income that you can use to live off of, you know, like, as you know, if you do like a wholesale, it's like, cool, you can have 60 grand a year in cash. flow. that's great. You do one wholesale for thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000, you're paying taxes on that. Mm-hmm. But that's basically the same thing, but the wholesale doesn't have the wealth tied to it. So you might as well max out your wealth potential as much as you can and then live off of the bigger events that generate cash. 
Love it. I agree 100%. I can't believe all the wholesalers out there and everyone that talks about wholesaling, how it's this great vehicle to make all this money. And they're literally selling the very thing that would, in, uh, in my opinion, otherwise make that give them legacy wealth. And it's okay to sell some of them. Um, like I shared earlier, we sell two thirds of the homes we put under contract. Um, and as you have these systems in place, we all know how much we're supposed to generate. Every city is going to be different. Every formula is going to be different. And that's why it's so important to learn what works for you and track everything in your world. Of course, you guys probably could answer the question of how much you're spending in marketing. And from that spend, how many deals you put under contract? I'm yep. guessing you know that. Oh, yeah. yeah. On so average, been, what's it cost to put a deal under contract? So we, we're in two markets. Um, in Spokane, it's about $3,200 um, per, con, per, per contract. Yep. Um, we're also in Knoxville, Tennessee. We do some virtually over there. Mm-hmm. And down there, it's about $2,500 a contract. Okay. And in Omaha, we're about 4000 So we're a lot higher. Uh, what on your wholesale? Do you know what you net on average on a wholesale deal? Are you willing to share yep. that? Yep. Our, our average net is 17500 All right. $17,500 um, on a wholesale. Yep. Uh, what about yep. if you close and throw it on the market without flipping it? Just a wholesale. Do you, do you have those numbers on a wholesale? Yeah. So we don't do a ton. Um, we've done maybe half a dozen of those, I guess, over the last year. And our average actually rent that today was 42000 Okay. So you, you make twice as much, if not a little bit more than that, if you close on it. And the yeah, big exactly. difference is you guys and why we chose to start closing on them. A lot of people that wholesale, wholesale because they can't close. They don't mm-hmm. have financing, they don't have money. And so it's a great way to get into the business of finding deals until you get to the point where you find a partner like Mike was able to do, or you find a bank that's willing to take a risk in you and loan you your first half a million on a line, or you can get a home equity line of credit against your house if you have a house with some equity available. But once you start to do your first couple deals, you'll recognize you can make way more money if you close. And the reason for that, in my opinion, is in most multiple listing services, you can't post wholesale homes. When you've closed on the property and you're partnered with a real estate agent, they can then put it on the market in a seller's market where there's all this competition. You're not then selling it to an investor, whereas a wholesaler is typically looking for an investor that wants to do a fix and flip. Now you're on the retail market working with people that want to own that particular property. That's my belief as to why you make more. We don't make double. That's that's crazy. Um, We're usually 10,000 on a wholesale. We're about 22,000 on a wholesale. Uh, the, The third question is on a flip. And before you answer yours, I'll answer mine. One of the things we started to discover, we double if it was a flip, we could get to like 40,000. But it took us three additional months to get our capital back. And it's a lot of risk. And it's a lot of time. And it's a lot of stress. And so we were like, you know what, instead of that extra three months, let's just wholesale. We're still doing better than if we wholesale. And we can move that much faster. And it's so funny to me, because everyone's all about flipping. And you hear everyone talk about flipping. um, But we've been able to prove at least in a seller's market, that we're better off wholesaling than flipping. And I'm not saying we're not doing anything. If there's problems, we'll go in and fix a couple of things, but we're not doing the HGTV crazy remodels very often. We have, we always have one going, uh, but I know if companies have five going at every, you know, at any given time, we'll always have about one going, but that's like every three months, then we do about four houses a year that are like the 50 to hundred thousand dollar flips. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. We, we don't do a lot of flips. We've only done one by true flip. Um, and we made 65 on it. Um, but, but I mean, our, our thought has always been, if we're going to put all this time renovating, so you might as well freaking keep it, you know, it's like, it's a lot of time to be given up that, you know, plus you have the short-term capital gains tax on it, you yeah. know, and then we're looking to like the just true velocity of your money that's been tied up in that project the entire time, by yep. the time it's all done, it's like, I might as well just wholesale this thing, made 30 grand and walked away. It's like, cool, I made 65, but yep. it's like five months in a bunch so it's of a time shit. value of money. 
So I yeah. think the reason a lot of times people choose to do a long-term project is they're not buying them as fast because they don't have a system that's not behind acquisition. So if you have a system where you can buy as quick as you want and your problem's money, I think you're better off not flipping. Whereas if you're the opposite, you just come across the deal out a couple times a year and you have a construction crew, maybe it's a family or friend or you want to sub that to somebody you have a relationship with, then maybe flipping makes sense. So it's really how, whatever everyone's goal is, everyone has a different goal. Um, yeah. And then the hold strategy, we've talked on that one. And then passing... Um, there's rarely a home we pass on. We always will make an offer, but sometimes the offers are so bad that it might as well be a pass. And for us, yeah. it's going to be crime ridden areas. It's going to be places where the rents are going to be $300 a month and anything under a thousand. We joke, if it's 300 a month, you're gonna have 300 a month problems. Um, that's kind of our joke in our area. And there's areas obviously we don't want to be in for me, our long-term hold. We didn't want, I didn't want to be a slumlord. I've been told before. Um, any home you choose to rent to someone else, be prepared to live in it because one day you might have to, which I've always kind of liked that mentality. Don't rent a house to someone I wouldn't be willing to sleep in myself. And so we've tried to pick areas that have doubled in value over the last seven to 10 years. Now this last seven to 10, the shift isn't probably a fair comparable, but typically a neighborhood where it normally will double every seven to 10 with the idea that over the next seven to 10 or the next 20, by the time our notes paid off, that house will have doubled or tripled in value. So like on your 30 year notes, it's you probably haven't even considered this, but in 30 years from now, those houses can be your 5X of what you mm -hmm. put them under contract. So you could keep refining or just take all, you know, be at a full 100% equity position and the sky's the limit as those grow in value. Yeah, absolutely. And so with ours, we kind of look at properties based off location um, as kind of like, I don't want to say short-term rentals because that's not like Airbnb, but basically seven to 10 year rentals and like kind of legacy rentals, right? So the ones that we see as super high, highly desirable assets, particularly our multifamilies, we kind of consider those to be legacy assets because we know that some point down the line, there's going to be another investor mm -hmm. that wants to buy a cash flow rental property, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then we look at a lot of the single families that we own, especially the ones that are in like more C-class areas. There is potential there. And just because we're buying it and setting up your rental doesn't mean we have to keep it forever. Right. So we basically are looking at those as like, those are going to fit our needs right now. We're able to pull all of our money out. The area is gentrifying. We are cash flowing on it. So let's hold it for the next five to 10 years. And then once this area has been continued to gentrify, we'll be able to sell this property for significantly more down the line. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to like as families and stuff are starting to move, there's yeah. becoming less of a rental neighborhood. Um, you know, and we'll do other things as well. Like, but those same types of areas where instead of uh, doing them, purely as rentals, we'll do like lease to owns where they're sort of required to pay us a pretty large down payment to get mm -hmm. extra money out. And then they're responsible for the maintenance. Um, we've done like seller wraps on stuff where we keep our mortgage and they basically issue them a second mortgage that they're required, uh, required to pay. Um, and that way it takes away a lot of the liability of us having to you know manage it as like a landlord, but mm -hmm. still has the cash flow and the tax upside and you know everything else that we have. And basically we just lose out on you know, potential appreciation on it and that sort of situation. But with some of the dog properties, it just makes sense to do that. I love that. I love lease to own your people feel like it's their house. It's land contracts. I feel like I've done a few of those like 10 years ago as well. Um, yeah. I like that most people will never finish it and close on it and they'll miss a payment and you'll get it back. Not that that's your goal. Your goal is that they treat it like it's their own property, mm -hmm. right? They're yep. going to take care yeah. of it as if it's their own. And you know that eventually the reason they're renting is because they can't make payments and they have bad credit. So Mike, you've yeah. been awesome. This has been a, a really fun conversation. Looks like we're doing a lot of the similar things. 
Um, just want to let everyone know, Clint will be speaking in Long Beach, California at our first ever team building workshop in California. We're going to be in Southern California in mid-January. You can find all the information out. Again, go to growwithers.com. There will be a redirect link for all of our upcoming events. We host events in Omaha every other month as well. And we have virtual events. But if someone wants to go check out Long Beach, good time to go. SoCal uh, in January, just here two months around the corner. Uh, Clint will be speaking for a few hours on the, his investment strategy. So for those that want to know more, and then also, of course, the team building um, uh, podcast specializes in interviewing top team leaders, broker owners, thought leaders, and investors. And if you guys have anyone else that you would like us to bring on the show, like Mike, who can be a um, subject matter expert around anything investing, we'd love to learn more about commercial space. We'd love to learn about industrial um, storage units has been really big right now, land, if anyone has anyone they want us to interview, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can just message us on our Instagram page. Mike, any cool. final thoughts? I know you have your podcast. You guys have done eight recordings up to this point. Collecting yep. podcast.com. The link's not live yet, but it's soon to be live. So hopefully when we release this here in a couple of weeks from now, you'll be up, you'll be up and running. Yeah, you, you can find the podcast on anywhere that you get your podcast from. Um, it's Collecting Keys Real Estate Investing Podcast. Um, we'll, we're having our website sort of figured out right now. It's collectingkeyspodcast.com. And then if you want to connect with me directly, the easiest way is through Instagram. It's just at Mike underscore invests. Um, you can shoot me a DM on there. I'm pretty, pretty active with people. My postings have been lax recently because we've been scaling pretty hard and I honestly haven't had time. Plus also too, is now that we have so much staff, I'm not really doing the, the fun stuff about walking properties <laughs> anymore. I'm kind of like the, the armchair quarterback right now. So um, that'll, that'll all be starting to pick up, but you can shoot me a DM on there and I'd be happy to chat with anybody. Cool. Mike, you were awesome. Appreciate you coming on the show. We'll definitely have to get you back on in a year or so. See where you guys are at. I can tell you're going to explode and keep doing what you're doing. It sounds like everything you're doing is the right stuff. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks for coming on. Have a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.